0: Politics Uncensored with Ali Malani on
1: FUBAR Radio. Hello everybody, this is Ali Malani on FUBAR Radio bringing you Politics Uncensored for another week. And what a week we have had in the world of Westminster and, and, and politics. Uh, everybody fighting, everybody, the Conservatives are withdrawing support and expelling people, Labour are withdrawing support and expelling people um, I have yet to be expelled which is probably the biggest news of the week um, but we'll we'll keep that timeline going as to as to when that happens and I'll keep everybody uh, informed. We've got um, a really really brilliant show we, we're we switching up a little bit this week and, and we'll probably be doing that in the future uh, and we're going to be doing more stories uh, throughout the show so rather than focusing on one particular theme we're, we're, we're going to be throwing more at you with more stories and more guests and hopefully um you will you will enjoy hearing about uh, more issues uh, on the show and I'm really really excited to do that so this week we've got uh Vincent Hornsbury uh, mortgage and protection advisor at the mortgage advice Bureau uh speaking to us about mortgages um now that the economy is is officially or the country's officially in recession i uh, will get to hear from him uh, about home ownership we've had michael gove pipe him up this week um about how uh, the conservatives can secure the next generation of all people they've sent michael gove to convince the next generation uh, that's like sending a snowman to, to to argue for for the summer but 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 Maybe he'll have more success, and I'm being cynical. But so we'll have uh, Vincent Hornsby joining us from uh, from the Mortgage Advice Bureau. We've also got jo- uh, John Bowden, a Washington correspondent at the Independent, joining us. the The American elections are are fast approaching, um, and we are going to most likely have the choice, or the Americans uh, voters will most likely have the choice between Joe Biden, the current president, and the former president Donald Trump. And we're going to be discussing who's older. or either of them fit to hold office? Can either of them finish a sentence? Uh, we're going to be talking to John Bowden about that uh, from The Independent. But before we get to that, we've got The Week Unwrapped where we talk about the biggest political stories of the week and rejoining us in the studio, we've got can- Councillor Hamza Tazel, a former Lord Mayor of Westminster, joining us. Hamza, how are you doing, man?
0: Doing all right, not bad. No, busy, last, busy.
1: Th- last time I spoke to you, I think you were, were you in Morocco?
0: I was in Morocco. How was Morocco? I did, uh, Morocco's all right. It's nice. It's, uh, the weather's definitely a lot better than here. Yeah,
1: so, yeah. yeah. well, it's starting to, to to warm up. How How are you? Are you throwing yourself back into into politics? And yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's busy now in the council. Um, yeah. Obviously, we have to play our part in the election, yeah. Um, but we've got a lot of, uh, we've got our budget coming up soon. It's so yeah. be interesting. So,
1: you know, uh, interestingly enough, recently we did a show, before we get to the, to the mm. stories of this week, um, we, we were talking to different councillors and, and, and uh, different councils uh, about the, the difficulty of the the budgets that local councils have some have declared that they're insolvent or going bankrupt um i think we spoke to birmingham and others uh, about the difficulties that they're facing how's yeah. how's westminster looking
0: westminster thankfully we're okay we're, yeah. we're not in a position that other councils other boroughs are in we still have to make savings so But you're fe- to feeling the pressure as well absolutely just Everyone as has. any other borough is especially yeah. in, in, in westminster of all places yeah
1: so, first story of the week, as you will be very uh, astutely aware of, and that is uh, that Labour will supposedly act to block people not fit to be MPs. Shadow Defence Secretary John Healy has pledged as the party struggles to deal with an ongoing row about comments made by its candidates. He insisted, he insisted the party was diligent when picking candidates uh, to be MPs, but added you can't see everything everywhere. This is following a row uh, about the Rochdale candidate, Azhar Ali, who has now had the... the support of the Labour Party withdrawn from him though it's too late so he's going to appear on the ballot with the Labour Party next to him he did initially apologise I've just seen this morning that he's now he's now saying you know he, he's campaigning essentially as an independent yeah, saying I was I was sacked yeah. which brings the the, the apology um, into question not long after that another candidate was suspended um, for, uh, for different comments uh, the Conservatives have also suspended uh, uh, a mayor uh, and a parish councillor, I believe. Uh, what is your take on the way that we select candidates, not just in the Labour Party, yeah. but more broadly?
0: Well, I think with with selections in general, they really need to be ground up. It really needs to come from the community. It needs to come from local residents. And to an extent, maybe it needs to go wider than the political parties. Because obviously you would know it, it's normally whoever's sort of involved locally as a as a labor member or a conservative member they'll get the first choice and the first dibs but that sort of excludes quite a few people so yeah. again we have an election to solve that people vote at the end but it's i don't know i, I don't feel as it's inclusive enough
1: um, so that's isn't that the worry that you know while i completely understand and agree with having the highest standards of politicians if we veer into anyone who's ever said anything myself included everyone knows that you can read i wrote a whole chapter about it in the book go and buy the book it's wonderful it's brilliant um you know if you exclude anyone who's ever said anything that is inappropriate then essentially what you're saying is that the the, you won't won't go anywhere the politicians you're getting are the etonian oxbridge type that have sort of been just chiseled from birth for public office even
0: those even those have done probably more worse things but seem to get away with it so it's uh what i would say in, in, in this particular circumstance it was it was a bit wobbly mm-hmm. it was really wobbly especially the the change of opinion almost throughout the day it was like an hourly yeah. update we were so
1: so so the first thing that came out was he said um, I'm talking about Azar Ali in, in Rochdale so what happened was he said uh, that October 7th was allowed to happen I believe um, as so that Israel is given the green lights to go into Gaza um, yeah. the sort of truth uh conspiracy theory yeah. um, he was he then apologized for that initially labor wouldn't withdraw their support and said you know they accept the apology and uh, it that things would be investigated but um you had shadow cabinet members continuing to campaign for him continue to do media rounds supporting oh, on the him same day and then after the media pressure that seemed to u-turn about a day or so later yeah. um and now we're in this huge row about how we select candidates one of the one of the things that i thought you you yeah. said that was interesting that i agree with is surely the best quality mark for a candidate are the local people
0: yeah i think it always is whether it's for councillor whether it's for an mp whoever it is if if they can't get their local people on side, if they don't have the backing of the community then they shouldn't be the local representative also local
1: people know better what other local people in that constituency want and And find desirable than some fella sat in labour hq in victoria and
0: and this is why this is why i'd even say to go as far as saying it, it should be people who live in the area we yeah. shouldn't have people drop shipped into God knows where from different areas. Mm-hmm. Let's try and get local people. We, we have people <laughs> in every area who can stand and, and be great MPs. So why not give them first dibs rather than bringing in whoever from elsewhere? And I know I Asa I think was a local councillor. Yeah. But it, again, it's sort of it, we we need to decide as a, I say we as Labour. But we need to decide as a party what the stand is. Do yeah. we do we sort of kick someone out straight away? Are we supporting them? Are we going to carry on? We can't send senior sort of shadow ministers in the daytime and then yeah. in the evening sort of take it away it, yeah it sets everyone up for failure and that's not great
1: and uh so i just want to ask quickly uh while we're on the topic of yeah. of labor more generally uh last couple of weeks obviously since the the uh what the war in gaza has intensified there's been a lot of criticism from the muslim community you are you know one of the the the, the best known at, at one point muslim councillors around the country uh tell me about how you're feeling we've had lots of muslim you know we had MPs and councillors and everyone talk, talk to us here about yeah. how difficult things have been and some of the feelings of frustration, anger, betrayal, hurt from the community. uh Where are you?
0: Well, I, I think day by day the situation is getting a, a lot sadder. If that's the correct word, it's, it's it's not improving. It's getting worse and worse. And for us as local councillors, we have to think what what part can we play mm-hmm. in this sort of big puzzle.
1: Well, you you face the intensity of the pressure, yeah. don't you? Because and and we had a guest on um, uh, last week uh, who's former London Assembly member, and, and he was saying, you know, it's you guys that are going out door knocking within the community, and feeling the heat of yeah. what national politicians say.
0: Yeah. And we have to be able to understand the point of view from residents, obviously, but also match that with our personal views. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget that is still human. We still have our own independent or sort of personal views. But then again, we do have to represent the views of those who elect us, because mm-hmm. that, that's our job ultimately. So I think for me, especially in Westminster. We've got massive communities, uh, quite diverse onto all over the place. But it's, it's quite tricky to say, I'm obviously mm-hmm. 100% for ceasefire, fire. And it's like, why haven't we nationally done that? Yeah, what, that, what are you hearing on the bit. door?
1: Is it coming up? Is it, is it breaking through? Yeah, 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 occasionally. Occasionally,
0: especially in parts that we represent. So like Liston Grove or High Road or Queens Park, places like that. Yeah. People just want it to stop ultimately yeah. it doesn't matter what side they're sort of
1: supporting they want it to uh, stop and I, we, I i prefaced it with muslims but of course it's not just muslims we got That's a polled, poll today out by yougov showing uh, that the majority of the british public um want the fighting to stop and want an immediate ceasefire and that number has massively jumped uh, since really? november we're going to move on to the next story and that is michael gove has vowed that no fault evictions will be banned this year as he warned separately that democracy was under threat if young people were shut out from owning their own homes uh, in the future, ministers have come under fire in recent days from campaigners who have said it 's bill to get it 's a bill to get rid of so called section twenty one evictions in England, whereby landlords can remove tenants for no reason uh, that bill is inad- inadequate um, that 's the criticism that the government has received in the ban was also a pledge made in the conservatives uh, two thousand and nineteen manifesto. Mm um however the uk housing minister insisted in an interview on sunday that the practice would have ended by the time of a general election despite his previous concerns that the courts may not be able to cope um before we get into the nitty-gritty of the of, of the policy in fact i don't really want to get into the nitty-gritty of the policy if i'm honest uh, i want to focus more on the theme of what michael Gove is trying to touch yeah. on uh and that is an entire generation of young people who have no realistic prospect of getting on the housing ladder is that something that resonates with you
0: absolutely well I'm, I'm 24 i'm at the age where i'm sort of thinking what happened next i'm still living at home so yeah i spent all my years as a counselor as lord mayor living at home with family absolutely love it don't get me wrong it's great yeah make sure but, you say that again for mum. yeah <laughs> I say, yeah it's great it's Mum absolutely loves me Really, fantastic yeah. but it's um, owning owning your own home is, isn't possible it's just it's not, not in your it's, thinking, It's not right? even a dream. Yeah. Like, it genuinely isn't even a dream. We're, we're not allowed to to believe or yeah. we'll have hope that one day we're going to own a house, especially where I live in, in, in Westminster. They build a yeah. one-bedroom. I
1: I, I said this on a, on a different... Uh, radio network, mm. which um, you should only ever listen to food bar, obviously. Absolutely. But um, w- we were we were in a panel discussion, uh, and we were talking about uh, housing. And I said, "Listen, uh, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 29, and um, just recently got married." And I said, no. "The discussions I've had with my wife is just realistically, I don't we don't think we'll be able to own a home by 40, for example." And there was a fella that was like 50s, 60s, something. Shocked, he was like, "What?" Oh, but that's that's the reality, so, right? I'm not. I'm forget, not. It's forget, not just Ali Milani saying that, right? Think,
0: forget owning a home; it's renting. R- renting, yeah. <laughs> where can you genuinely afford, especially yeah. in London or Central London, to afford to rent? Yeah. If you're paying over two k for one bedroom, that's that's most people's salary after tax. If you're on yeah. a sort of normal salary of thirty k sort of thing, where yeah. where can you genuinely live to uh, sort of afford to live? And that's why we see young people. That's why we have problems like overcrowding. Yeah. It's because generations grow up and grow up. And the, the, flat, get, the flat might have been okay when they moved in but yeah. it's not okay i give you an on example on. of that
1: i've got a, i've got a friend right now uh who's having um his first baby with his wife and um they're both around my age um both working one of them is a scientist one of them works in the civil service and they're having to move to preston to be able to afford to live in the space that can the space physical space that can accommodate um their newborn baby so that's yeah. just real that's renting by the yeah. way that's not buying yeah. so the housing market is completely shut out so in a he's sense Michael. i mean uh, i'm gonna wash my mouth out with salt after this but michael gove is right no
0: he's he's right but let's 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 be realistic here these are especially Mike, michael gove has been been in government for a little while he mm-hmm. sort of knows what he's doing and i think this is a last sort of last leg of a election campaigning or pioneering trying to get something through but really and truly none of none of these people genuinely understand what yeah. it feels like to be on the ground.
1: So what do, we, what do we have to do? What would, you, you know, as a young person, what would give you a little bit more confidence in being able to get on the no, housing ladder? Is it building more? Is it, it these no-fault evictions? Well,
0: What's the definition of affordable is, is useless, which which we know and have known. Mm-hmm. In Westminster, we're lucky enough to be able to, to buy flats from, from sort of developers and say these are social housing units, these are council flats. We're reviewing the allocations policy, so we're seeing who's actually eligible for social housing because for me, it's, I, I again, I, I believe in the idea of social housing. I mm. believe in, in the state and, and local government being responsible for where people are able to live. It, it shouldn't be always a personal sort of I want to go and buy this and buy that. And if I'm being realistic. We'll never be able to, to bring house prices down in Westminster, for example, even London. It's never going to change. It's Why only not going to go on up and up because of the value of the land, the value, of the amount of people who live there. some of the most densely populated areas. Everyone wants to live in in London. Mm-hmm. For some, for some
1: what about sort of rent stuff. controls? Something similar to what they've done in uh, New well, York I th- or in I th- Spain. I think rent
0: controls would be interesting. Um, Mr. has come out in favour. Interme- well, we've got intermediate rent, which mm-hmm. isn't isn't far off, and the GLA set sort of a standard. So I think it's about a thousand pound for one bedroom, etc., and it sort of gradually goes up. Mm-hmm. And that something like that, I think, would be really nice. But if it was again enforced by law, yeah, it can't be on, on the goodwill of landlords yeah. because uh, th- there isn't there isn't such thing, unfortunately. It's a business, it's a market. You have a house, you're going to rent it out. You want to yeah. try and make as much money as possible. But look, I mean,
1: specifically in London, I think one of the problems we've got is, um, and 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 this is where some of the you know, people think this policy is extreme. I can't understand why it is. But the reason why the land is so expensive and the reason why the market just trends upwards is we've got so much property, land, flats, just housing units in London that are bought by oligarchs from abroad. You know, whether it's from the Middle East, yep. whether it's from China or Russia, or and, and they're left empty. Well, we've right?
0: got we've got a big empty home scheme that yeah. we're doing at the moment in Westminster. Well, why can't
1: the government come in and say, right, you either rent it out or you lose it. You can't just leave property empty. They
0: should, and we we try to do that as a local council, but the legislation isn't there to back us. So we go to someone who's. No, we're talking about national government. Yeah, yeah. national government. We we but they need to they need to empower us as a local authority because we know where the houses are, we know Mm -hmm. where the flats are. We go to someone at the moment. They say. Go away. It's nothing to do with these But sort
1: of would, would that not radically change things if as a national government, let's say I was a national government and mm. I came to you and I said, look, this X amount of empty properties, we've given them six months, a year, Absolutely. two years Absolutely. to either rent it or lose Absolutely. it. And once they lose it, you can, you Absolutely. know, compulsory Absolutely. purchase it and put it back
0: on the market. But, but this, is the, this is the catch, though. Even in Westminster, even if you were to compulsory purchase and issue a CPO, can we afford the price that, 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 yeah. of, of, the, of the property itself? Is it worth us buying something for eight million? But if, if that goes
1: alongside a radical housing program, for yeah. example, building housing, yeah. surely it's easier to buy than to build.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're, we're dying to have more space and, and yeah. find sort of more flats.
1: Amazing. So we're going to move on to the next story. This is amazing, by the way. Um, we had to fact check this twice. Yeah. This is true, right? <laughs> I'm telling you this is true before full fact come at me uh, for the second time in two weeks. The Home Office will pay celebrities to post messages on TikTok. I'm just going to let everybody digest what I've just said. I'm going to say it again. The Home Office will pay celebrities to post messages on TikTok, urging migrants not to cross the channel in small boats. Social media influencers in countries that account for a large amount of illegal migration to the UK will be offered thousands of pounds to publicise new immigration laws including the threat of deportation to Rwanda. The decision to pay influencers to engage prospective migrants is described as novel in a government document. The mass advertisement campaign will take place in Albania, Iraq, Egypt, Vietnam with plans to introduce them in Turkey and India. Hamza this is what we needed, this is what was missing (laughs) to stop the boats, was TikToks. Well
0: if you're you're a TikToker with a A lack of morals, you've uh, you've won the lottery, essentially. There's nothing better than government funding.
2: Yeah, just British that. government funding to post TikToks, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think I did see, see a guy, and, you, and I think Nigel Farage actually reposted this guy on Twitter, mm-hmm. and he was sort of saying, oh, what happens if you catch a, a migrant in your house or whatever? And he's like, oh, get out, get out. And you get hundreds of thousands of views, and that, that influences people. Mm-hmm. This is what these people are, they're influencers. And that, for me, is the, not the right way of spending public money.
1: Surely this... I mean, this is just bang out of ideas, oh, right? It's like the, I, you've not well, not at the bottom of the barrel. You have yeah, scraped um, the barrel. You've gone I, through to the concrete below. you are in
0: a different world at this rate. Yeah. I, I think that whoever sits around those tables in government and looks at this and said, "This is a fantastic idea. Let's do it." Do
1: you think this is a real yes. policy, or do you think this is just? I wouldn't be surprised.
0: I wouldn't be surprised. Honestly, I don't put anything past the current government. Mm. There, there are, there are no limits. There, are, there are no rules, as they say. They, they can, <laughs> they can do what they want, pretty much.
1: Right, um we're going to move we're going to move swiftly past that because it doesn't deserve any more of our time and that's um story number 4 which is fake audio clips of Sadiq Khan criticizing remembrance weekend events and encouraging pro-palestinian marches nearly caused a serious disorder the London mayor has said the so-called deep fake material shared on social media had an ai simulation of Mr Khan's voice saying he did not care about the remembrance weekend and suggesting the commemorations be postponed to allow for a pro-palestine march to go ahead Mr. Khan told BBC Radio 4's Why Do You Hate Me podcast that current legislation is not fit for purpose, and the audio creator got away with it after Metropolitan Police said the material did not constitute a criminal offence. I mean, this is going to be a serious problem in the coming years, isn't it? Just serious fake news, misinformation via deepfakes and AI creations, essentially getting politicians to say all sorts. Keir Starmer has faced it, Sadiq Khan's faced it. So I was
0: going I saw one on, on Facebook yesterday of care. And it had sort of the voice, and you can see sort of the audio lines going up and down. It sounds really realistic. It sounds really legit. Yeah, I was telling my friends, I was like, there's no way he said that. I was like, yeah. There's no way. Like, no, no, but it's it. And I was like, no way. And I had to sort of double-check it as well on Google. I was like, there's no way he can be saying stuff like yeah. that. But people get caught out, and people post these, and things spread really, really quickly, especially if there's a community that's gathered for the purpose of hate. Yeah. Things like this will just fly through. I,
1: I remember the big one was around Labour Party Conference. I don't know if you remember, mm-hmm. but someone posted one of Keir Starmer just, just completely tearing a new one to a supposed intern just effing and blinding um and it sounded so realistic i thought it was real right i was like what and it's very you know
0: it's scary because like i said these things spread like a wildfire and Mm -hmm. they only get worse and as the technology adapts and people start to learn how to use these things yeah you can get it on your phone and do it and you
1: can't put the genie back in the bottle that's the problem as much as corrections can be put out if two million people listen to or watch the deep fake misinformation of sadiq khan saying he doesn't care about commemora- commemoration up. day it's game over like game you said right because that is impacts. always going to get more views than a correction saying it's not true Absolutely. so that it's Absolutely. already out there
0: and it has real world impacts this yeah. is going to affect people's lives quite literally yeah. um, so no
1: and so what do we need to look at some some legislative changes to make sure that they're they're
0: criminal offenses <laughs> has to be legislation has to be awareness um, i think we have to start Teaching these and sort of in schools and colleges and that sort of thing, and, and let people know the consequences of uh, the same way we do with any other online thing. This is now an online thing that we have to make people aware of, uh, mm-hmm. especially families and stuff, especially people who who maybe might not have English as first language because then they'll see something like this, a prominent <coughs> figure, and it will only spread. And I've seen my parents and my mum sort of and, and, and auntie's WhatsApp groups and that sort of thing. Yeah, it just anything spreads anything like crazy. Spread, anything will
1: yeah. spread. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that's been Councillor Hamza Tausel, uh, former Lord Mayor of Westminster, current councillor, Labour Party councillor, joining us for the week on Wrap. Hamza. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are going to be speaking next about mortgages. We're going to continue on the theme of first time buyers, uh, and we are going to be joined by Vincent Hornsby, Mortgage and Protection Advisor at the Mortgage Advice Bureau. He joins us after these messages.
2: FUBAR Radio presents Access All Areas.
1: We have the absolute icon, legend, mm-hmm. Janice Dickinson. God, I'm here. here. Do you still enjoy doing reality shows, or do you now see it as more of like a part of your job that you like have to do? I do,
2: I do really enjoy it. I, do, I don't enjoy the actuality of of eating fish eyeballs. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> There's that side or goat to <laughs> yeah. Or a vagina of cows. Yeah. But you do like the sort of social I, side, do you like just the The yeah. social side was fantastic, just getting to know people mm. and uh, sleeping with people and eating with people when we didn't really have enough food. Access all areas
1: every Wednesday.
2: Fubá Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Ali Malani on FUBAR Radio at Politics Uncensored. We've just had Hamza, our Labour Party councillor and former Lord Mayor of Westminster joining us in the studio. And we spoke a little bit about the housing uh, crisis, uh, particularly in London. And we're going to continue on the theme uh, of housing and particularly mortgages. As according to recent research from Halifax, over 60% of first-time buyer mortgages taken out between January and December 2023 were we in joint names with two or more people. Housing Secretary Michael Gove has recently said that he was pressing the Treasury to include measures around housing affordability to be included in the next month's budget, including a cut to stamp duty, state-backed, uh, state-backed 99% mortgages and an extension of the discount scheme for first-time buyers. Gove also warned that a collapse in home ownership among young people is a threat to democracy uh, as well as conservative electoral fortunes and a radical steps were needed to make housing more affordable. Joining me now, we have Vincent Hornsby, Mortgage and Protection Advisor at the Mortgage Advice Bureau. Vincent, thank you so much for joining us. Can you give us a sense of how bad the market is right now for first-time buyers? Yes, good
3: evening. Um, well, The market is tough to get onto as a first-time buyer. You know, if you're paying rent at the moment, you're paying, I don't know, £750 a month in rent for a one-bedroom place will be £27,000 that basically has gone into somebody else's pocket and it's not as part of your deposit. So the younger people are having to try and find various new ways of getting onto the mortgage market, and it's a tough market to get onto, and that's why we um, (coughs) basically would like to see that home ownership be feeling achievable rather than a complete stretch
1: and so these figures from halifax which suggest that 60 percent of first-time buyers um, first-time buyer mortgages are being taken out by more than one person uh what what does that mean is it that people simply cannot afford it on their own and they're having to pull in together
3: yes yes absolutely so people having to pull in together we found a big increase in um joint borrower sole proprietor so that's where One person is on the deeds, only one person owns a property, but parents, for example, are coming on to uh, support the mortgage lender to get the affordability where it needs to be, and then they come off at a later stage. So we've got things like that happening, Um, but we are finding people who are buying with friends um, because they just don't have the income, the affordability has changed. Interest rates have increased, inflation's increased, amount of deposits increased. So people are doubling up and mm-hmm. buying properties themselves. And what are the um, risks
1: with associated with that?
3: Well, the risks are, I mean, you've got to have a good friend. Um, there are always material changes <laughs> in life, aren't there? So, um, you know, who knows when you're going to meet your next partner? Um, who knows when, you know, uh, something's going to change, job move, anything like that, which can affect two people rather than one. Um and then you've got to have a look at well, what are the options thereafter. So it can be a risk, um, but it will get you onto the housing market.
1: Uh and uh, MAB has recently found that twenty-three percent of eighteen to twenty-four year olds are planning to team up to buy a home. Um this seems to be a particular problem with the younger generation and they're feeling I mean, I've just had Hamza, who's a counsellor, twenty four years old, uh, in yeah. the studio with me, who's talking about, you know, uh, buying a home is not in in his perception of his future is not a realistic possibility. How much of a crisis is it if you have an entire generation that feels disconnected from the housing market?
3: Well, I mean, given the volatile mortgage market and economy, it is reasonable to say that aspiring homeowners are increasingly looking to buy with others as opposed to going on solo. So with interest rates and inflation high, combining finances two can help. Um, whilst there's a little data on how common it is for friends to buy together, research has shown More than half, 52% of prospective buyers say the current economic climate has impacted who they plan on buying a property with. And moreover, 7% say they now plan to uh, buy with a friend. That is rising to 23% of 18 to Mm -hmm. 24-year-olds. So you can see the percentage of people looking to get onto the market in that younger age group are Mm -hmm. having to do it together.
1: So can you explain, uh, old Denzel Washington quote, explain it to me like I'm five years old, why? Why is the market... So unaffordable
3: because of house prices. House prices have shot up, they continue to rise. Mm -hmm. Um, you see on the news, you know, one building society says it increases by one percent, the next bank says it's decreased by one percent. But the value of houses have gone up to such a level, and with interest rates increasing, the amount of money that the lender will lend on their affordability models, um, if interest rates go up, payments go up, therefore. or income levels are stretched and the affordability comes down. So what's basically happened is a few years ago, um, post-pandemic, we had a boom in the mortgage market and the housing market. Um, Interest rates were so low, the affordability models were high, so people could borrow more. As interest rates have risen, the affordability available based on those higher interest rates is lower so Mm -hmm. that's why we've seen so i want to if
1: you don't mind i just want to unpack things because because listeners might not be completely understand what we mean when we talk about affordability so this is the amount the affordability models you're talking about so this is the amount so if i go to a bank and look for a mortgage what you're talking about in affordability models is how much that bank is willing to lend me
3: absolutely to buy the house Go back 20 years um, you know, banks would say it's four times your income, four and a half times your income, etc. Um, we've had to get a lot smarter with lending, um, especially with regulation. So, the banks and building societies, when they look at how much they can lend to you on a mortgage, will have a look at what you've got coming into the household and what you've got going out. So, if you've got credit card debts, personal loans, uh, maintenance payments, etc., that all comes off your income when they're actually looking at doing the calculations. So, the less outgoings you've got, the more you'll borrow, but the more debts you've got, uh-huh. um, and they will take into account, as I said, your credit cards, car finance, HP, student loans, um, all of these type of things are taken into account. Now, the different banks and building societies have different models based on their policies. So some may lend slightly higher than others, and some may lend less than others. And that's why using a mortgage broker, when you can look at the whole of the market, we can actually probably find lenders that may be able to just stretch you that little bit more
1: and and so exactly why um are the housing prices going up so rapidly
3: um, well
1: i mean there won't be it's, one it's reason a but
3: stock if you actually look at the uh, number of people now um, within the country who are wanting to get onto the housing market um talking to state agents and local estate agents um you know they're sending people around to take the pictures and they've got a whole list of people who are looking for the property so there's just not enough mm-hmm. housing stock for people to buy so we need to Especially build more housing uh, market this this sort of the cheaper end
1: so it, then the call surely has to be we have to build more houses
3: um well yes we've got to build more houses we've got to look at different ways of, of doing different things i mean you mentioned michael gove um, earlier on in his his article um, i mean i'm not here to discuss the political impact but what we want to see is that homeowners feels achievable for people and that there's changes that can be made to this. You know, we've had previously the help to buy scheme, shared ownership, etc. But um, the new 99% mortgage initiative could be what we are desperately needing to help many people climb onto that first rung of the ladder, especially those who've been living with parents. So if you've been living with your parent, you haven't been renting anywhere. You've got no historical evidence that you can afford it. So in the very short term, the focus should be on those that are on rental. And if you've been renting somewhere for two or three years and you've been making these payments, and you've never missed a payment, and the mortgage payment is going to be a similar level, if not less than what you're paying in rent, why can't these people get onto the mortgage market? That's why mm-hmm. something like this could, in the short term, really help. I mean, a move like that would acknowledge that the costs that renters have been having month in, month out. Um, it would increase home ownership. Um, it would stimulate property transaction, and it would boost our sort of flat-lining economy. Mm -hmm. stamp duty reform not not stamp duty hold they want a whole reform of it i mean the conveyancing people who are actually processing the transaction it's a nightmare for them and we need to do you mind sorry
1: if i might do you mind explaining what stamp duty is for folks who might not know what it is Stamp
3: duty is tax that you pay when you purchase a property um it depends on the value of the property um first time buyers won't be paying stamp duty if they're purchasing less than a certain level and all the levels rise up um if You buy a second property, um, i.e. you become a landlord or you buy a second home, um, you're going to be paying a significantly higher amount um, of of Mm stamp duty. It's tax, basically, on the purchase of a house.
1: All right, and I just want to – one last question on this stock issue um, because we've just spoken about it with with Hamza. Um, One of the key issues we have in London, we know, is there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, depending on what data you believe – of empty properties just sat here in london that are often not always but often owned by overseas oligarchs and billionaires um, who use it either for tax purposes or visit it maybe once or twice a year um, building houses takes a long time why can't the government say to these foreign nationals these oligarchs these billionaires use it or lose it and we'll put compulsory purchase it back to help the stock
3: not a question I can answer. If I'm honest with you, Ari. I'm, I'm I'm not in the politics side of things. I'm I'm a mortgage broker. I will help. But Vincent, help tell the truth. It it it's a
1: great idea. I've just come up with it. It's it's an awesome idea. You're not going to be able to do it's that. A it's, okay. Okay. it's okay. It's, it's <laughs> an idea. But if you if you, if but you it's, about, it's about it's about tackling shop. it's about tackling that stock, isn't it? We just don't have enough houses, so we've got to come up with radical ways to get more stock in to to push Absolutely. push prices you uh,
3: Just look at the high street. How many shops are empty now, and what's happening with those? Um, mm-hmm. You know, those can be converted into homes. The high street is not what it was 30 years ago. Um, the world's moving. Um, everybody's mm-hmm. purchasing online. Um, therefore, we've got a lot of stock in, in housing, in town town centres. These could all be developed. Yeah.
1: So um, I have a couple more questions for you while I've got you. Um, let's talk about the banks a little bit more. What incentive is being given to them to lend? Um, you know, what what is what is the weather like in that sector? Are they hesitant to lend, um, or what's going on there?
3: No, no, they're very willing to lend. Uh, the banks and building societies are getting quite competitive, um, and as as their own finance market changes, there are times where they've got the funding where they can actually reduce the interest rates and purchase rates that are lower than their competitors, um, which is great. So what you'll see is within the mortgage industry, we will be. Putting mortgages to banks and building societies, and it's it, it changes. So we might get Santander one month that's really competitive. It could be then NatWest the next month. It could be Nationwide, and then the Halifax. So they're all competing for this business. Um, we want more first time buyers. Definitely, we need more first time buyers. Um, remortgage market where you actually already own a property and have a mortgage with them, but you actually have coming to an end of a a particular product, a fixed rate or a. Tr- or something like that. That market is very, very big because a few years ago we had that big boom after the um, lockdown, mm-hmm. where people wanted to buy a house with a, a garden. Uh, they don't wanted to downsize. Uh, they wanted an office in their house, so they needed a bigger house. All of those transactions are now starting to mature, and that that market is very large for the banks and the building.
1: But societies. on the banks and the building societies, we so I presume we want them to be lending more because. Uh, what I mean more is the amount they're willing to lend because the prices are going up so high. For example, it might encourage more first-time buyers. People like myself, for example, who find it very difficult to buy in London because it's so expensive yes. to in London, but also can't leave London because our work is so tied into London. Then we're forced to rent, and you know we don't. We might not have the. We might be able to make the monthly, and it's a. I'm really glad you used the rental example because it's a great example. Uh, The rent we pay is far more than we would have paid in a mortgage, for example, uh, as a, what the banks would give us. But the amount that's being lended isn't, isn't high enough. Is there some, th- some way that we can encourage the banks and building societies to, rather than lending four and a half times someone's salary, it goes to 10 times maybe?
3: It's It's got to be affordable. It's got to be realistic. 10 times somebody's income. No, I just used that scary. number as
1: a thingy, but I mean just driving it up.
3: Yeah, yeah. What we've got to do is work within the regulations, and the regulations state that, you know, we need to ensure that a mortgage is affordable, and the clients, the customers need to ensure they have sufficient protection in place. If anything were to happen um, to themselves, um, health-wise, death to a party, something like that, we want to ensure that that mortgage is protected and cleared. If we start lending five, six, seven times worth of income, and you're working in, I don't know, um, an industry where the the business is shut down um, all of a sudden you don't have a job the income that you've got is so reduced and your mortgage payments are ridiculously high we've got to protect the customer so the banks and bill societies have got to be realistic in the amounts that they're lending which is understandable if you're an underwriter you're protecting that business Um, but there are schemes out there depending now a lot of people in london they are working through a career they're professionals and the banks and building societies do have schemes available for professionals where they will look at increasing the multiples because somebody who's just become a doctor or a conveyancer or something like this you know we know that income is going to shoot up in the coming years therefore Mm. they may consider lending a higher amount okay Um, uh, there are schemes
1: so a couple more actually two two key questions just advice based questions if someone from government is listening, either current government, future government, and you had their ear for sixty seconds, Vincent, what would you? What would a piece of advice that you could give to help improve the housing market as a as a whole, but also specifically young people getting on the housing market?
3: Specifically for the young people, I, I definitely would be talking to them about the ninety nine percent initiative. It would kick everything off straight away. Um, if you're if you're in rented, I would say to any. Party, I would say if you're renting a property and you're paying out £27,000 over three years, just in a low rent of £750 a month, but you only need 1% um, to, to purchase a property rather than a 5 or 10% deposit these days, that would change the market hugely.
1: Mm-hmm. And can you explain the 99% initiative?
3: So 99%, so imagine a house is worth £100,000, uh, your deposit on a 99% scheme would be £1,000. People who are paying rent can save a thousand pounds. I mean, that's huge
1: that, because uh, we've quoted on this show before. Research that's just in London, and I don't want to hark too much about London, but I love the city and it's where I'm from. It's deposits on average are a hundred thousand pounds. Yeah,
3: I mean, you know, it's all. It's I mean, all the only way I'm—I'll yes,
1: be like honest, that. Vincent. The only way I'm—I'm I'm saving a hundred thousand pounds is to sell you one of my kidneys. I yeah, don't know if it's going for that
3: much. Absolutely. But what if it was one percent that you needed?
1: Then I would definitely be buying. That that what you've just said would radically shift my just individually, Ali Milani as a twenty nine year old who right now doesn't have a dream of getting on the housing ladder. That would definitely change things.
3: So that would change things. But imagine then the housing stock, the turnover of housing stock, more people buying, um uh, the economy, you've got more people doing things to properties more people decorate more people upgrading Mm -hmm. more people renovating so there's jobs for electricians there's jobs for builders there's jobs for plumbers um it has a huge the, the, the housing market is the cornerstone of the economy and if we could get something like that going wow it would be a big difference
1: brilliant and last uh last question i have for you is if individuals well not if the individuals that are listening what advice would you give if they desperately want to get onto the housing ladder
3: talk to a mortgage broker Um, I talk to so many people who have listened to their parents. Their parents bought a house 25, 30 years ago. The market's different. Everything's different. Talk to a mortgage broker. They will then talk to you about the process, how much you actually need to save. I've got people saying to me they need a £100,000 deposit. When I sit down with them, I work it out, and they need a £25,000 deposit. And they're sitting there going, well, I can actually start looking for a house.
2: Talk to a
3: mortgage broker. Get the honest truth from a reputable broker, um, and find out what you can do. Um, it, it, I get amazed at how many stories I get from customers when I'm explaining the housing market, the mortgage market, the process of buying a house, what they need, the costs involved, and they sit there saying, I didn't think I could do it, but I can. So there's a lot of people out there, a lot of negativity out there um, regarding mortgages and the house buying process. Um, talk to somebody. Find out what the options are, and you'd be quite amazed.
1: Thank you so much. That was um, enormously informative, Vincent, and I'm sure listeners uh, will have found it really, really interesting and helpful, particularly young people, I think, um, who uh, my generation, certainly amongst friends, colleagues, um, have almost given up in a certain extent uh, on on housing. And I think listening to some of your advice uh, would have certainly... Um, opened some eyes uh, and and made some headway in informing people about how they can get on the housing ladder. Thank you so much. That was Vincent uh, Hornsby, Mortgage and Protection Advisor at the Mortgage Advice Bureau, joining us down the line. We are now going to switch on to a different topic, and that is the good old United States of America. Uh, we're going to be talking about the upcoming presidential elections, which are likely to see potential criminal Donald Trump versus everybody's granddad Joe Biden.
2: Fubar Radio presents. <laughs> what the health with Gabby Allen? Joining me now is Millie Gooch, author and founder of Sober Girl. So- 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 sobriety <laughs> society I need to know what's so bad about dating sober I think
0: it's just terrifying when you, it's something that you're not used to because I when I was drinking and dating you know like you use it to calm your nerves you use it yeah. for confidence you rely on it and I think that's the one thing I realised when I stopped drinking is how much I really relied on alcohol I was always kind of saying you know like
2: oh I'm, I'm not dependent on it but for my confidence I, I was mm. really but I also think there's so many benefits to it like mm. I, I used to go on so many dates when I was drinking I'd be like they are
0: the one and then I'd meet them like a few weeks later sober and I'd be like we've got nothing in common what was going through my mind I'd be like oh it was because uh, I was drunk
2: Access All Areas with Bobby Norris Heartbreak how are you my love? (laughs) I'm great, thank you. How are you? It looks
0: fun in there. I want to talk about this because obviously you met your partner on The Apprentice. When did you start to get that feeling, I'm
1: I'm into him and this is more than just a a banter or a friendship? Because
0: it's a close environment being on a show like that, isn't it?
2: I really wish I could sit here and give loads of juicy gossip that actually we used to secretly meet in the laundry room on the show, but we didn't. Um, And when I actually last spoke with yourselves, I think it was right after I'd won, we weren't even flirting, never mind dating. First time that I thought I actually fancied him was when I watched him on TV and I watched (laughs) episode one.
1: one. Hang
2: on. You know he's actually really good looking. Politics
1: Uncensored with Ali Milani. And joining me in the studio, we have Deputy Leader of the Green Party, Zach Polanski. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. How are you keeping, Zach?
3: I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? So you, you're
1: hoping for four
3: MPs in the general? You think that's going to happen? Yeah, and that's absolutely the minimum at
1: what. We're I don't want to be Piers Morgan here, but will you take out... I I don't have a thousand pounds. You take a hundred pound bet with me that
3: you'll get four MPs. Well, I do everything in politics to talk about the harms of gambling. So for me to Very place a bet there would be pretty <laughs> you know, pretty horrendous. We spoke. We spoke <laughs> Before we had you on, uh, we, we we discussed with the
1: producers as to whether I should do the bet joke. Um, and I said I would because I, I had every faith that you would answer it in the way I expect a politician sure. of any more. We should also talk about
3: cryptocurrency, which also is very yeah. problematic. Rishi, if, if you're light. if
1: you're listening, mate, yeah. that's how you answer a betting question.
3: You're listening to football
1: Radio. football Bar Radio Bar Radio. Fubar Radio. Welcome back, this is Ali Melani at Politics Uncensored. We are talking about the upcoming presidential elections in the United States of America and specifically uh, the questions uh, around the candidates current uh, former President and potential criminal Donald Trump is likely to become the candidate for the Republican Party whilst uh, sitting president Joe Biden is leading in the votes for the Democrats. Uh, so we're likely to see uh, Trump Biden too at the next uh, elections in the United States. However, a recent damning report from the special counsel Robert Hur has called into question Biden's mental state with a recent poll from ABC suggesting that 86% of Americans believe Biden is too old to serve another term ap nork poll suggested that 77 percent of americans think biden is too old to serve four more years whereas 51 percent thought the same of trump it's important to note that joe biden is currently 81 years old and donald trump is 77 i'm just going to read a quote out from that robert her uh special counsel report and he referred to joe biden as an elderly man with a poor memory joining us now is john bowden washington correspondent at the independent john thank you so much for joining us i think from washington how big of a story is joe biden's memory and mental capacity and faculties in america
2: well look it, it's it's completely consumed washington this past week um both the initial uh release of the report and the President's reaction to it. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, the press conference that he gave um, last week, when the or, or a few days ago, when when the report came out, um, it, he he there was a, he gave a very animated and angry and frankly energetic uh, response to the report, uh, which in itself ended up raising more questions about his memory issues, about his uh, speech capabilities, his mental capabilities um because during that speech he confused the president of Mexico with the president of Egypt while talking about the Israel Gaza uh, conflict so it's it's it was a bad story for the president that got worse with the white house's response um and as you said it's a it's a major story in US politics because of how much of a concern it is for voters around the country. Um, you mentioned clear majorities of Americans uh, believe Mr. Biden is too old to serve for a second term. I would only add that uh, those same polls include clear majorities of Democrats think that same thing, that Mr. Biden is too old to serve. And to be clear, as you said, those these many of these concerns exist uh, around President Trump as well. Uh, President Trump is... Himself, uh, one of the oldest candidates to ever run for office, um, and himself has been uh, has been noticed or reported to have been making more of these uh, sort of confusing gaffs uh, in public at his campaign rallies in recent weeks. Uh, the most the most uh, significant and, uh, noteworthy example being him confusing Nikki Haley with Nancy Pelosi, the former Speaker of the House, uh, at a campaign rally in one of. Uh, fairly famous example Mm -hmm. i I think Um, as you say go ahead i'm sorry go ahead
1: so one of the questions i wanted to ask i I think what's interesting and key about it is typically whether it's here in the united kingdom or in the united states these attacks come from your opponents but it seems from all the polling and not just polling but but relative reasonable heads like nate silver who wouldn't necessarily pile on in a partisan way on the president or even um David Axelrod, who is a a well-established Democrat uh, and advisor to the Democratic Party, are all now publicly saying it, that there might be an issue here.
2: Yeah. I I mean, so we are technically in primary season, even if the Democratic uh, Party would like you to think otherwise. Um, Joe Biden is essentially uh, going, he's going to wrap up the Democratic uh, primary. Dean Phillips is not a serious contender for the nomination at this point. Um, so, so most most Democrats are essentially caught in this very—between a rock and hard place, uh, right? They've got—on one side, they've got very clear majorities of both their own party and voters nationally saying that this is a problem for them uh, that they need to address. Uh, but at the same time, the there is a relative acceptance throughout the party— That the primary is decided and Joe Biden is Mm -hmm. the general election candidate for the Democrats in 2024. And if that's the case, any highlighting of criticism or concerns about the president's age essentially fall into the territory of aiding the Republicans for the general election. And so on one hand, you have very legitimate concerns that your voters are raising and want you to deal with during a primary season, which theoretically is the time to hash out these problems or these concerns. On the other hand, it's it's a primary season by name only, and Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee unless he steps aside of his own volition. Mm-hmm. So Democrats really are stuck here. They can't Many of them want to or would be raising these concerns if they had a better avenue to do so uh, but instead they are stuck sort of explaining away uh the president's issues yeah. or dismissing these concerns as republican talks so
1: if I ask you if i if I may ask you ahead of you know obviously think we all know things can and often do change between now and election season but I mean Joe Biden's only his 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 only problem isn't just his memory and his his age. He's got a fifty six percent disapproval rating right now, according to Five Thirty Eight. As I understand, no president has been reelected with such numbers at at this stage of their presidency, or um, at least near these numbers. Um, what do his prospects look like? What are the electoral consequences of what we're talking about? Um, you know, is he in serious trouble? As it pertains to taking on Donald Trump uh, at their next general election,
2: there are definite concerns about his what about how competitive the election is going to be in November. To be sure, that said, uh, we are in the time of Donald Trump, as it were, and unprecedented things are happening all the time these days. And it, yes, Joe Biden's favorables are lower right now than than his opponents were, I believe, at the same time uh, in his presidency. Um, yes, they are—traditionally, this would look horrific for a re-election campaign. However, at the same time, Donald Trump also has historic, unfavorable ratings. In every poll, uh, he's—there's there. There's something like 45 percent of voters— who say they don't have just a unfavorable opinion of him, but a very unfavorable opinion. Mm-hmm. There's a very large contingent of voters in this country who are wholly turned off by Donald Trump and Trumpism and are motivated to vote against that faction whenever it, it appears on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Could so, that be a
1: saving grace for the Biden yeah. campaign that there is a huge caucus of Americans who, even if they have huge concerns about Biden's age, memory, and men- mental capacity, would just vote against Trump come what may
2: that's honestly that's that's really looking like it's going to be the case uh, we're seeing We're seeing more and more polls come out every day uh, that suggest that the major or the gr- uh, group of Americans, the percentage of Americans who are fully unwilling to vote for Donald Trump uh, is going to arise if he is convicted in any one of his 91 uh, of his 91 felony counts. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a serious problem for the Trump campaign uh, there. This, this includes, uh, we did some reporting this in the appendant. This includes majorities of, voters in swing states, including, I think, one in four Republicans and some at least four in 10 independent voters who, who are saying they will they will fully not even consider the Republican ticket if mm-hmm. the nominee is a convicted felon. It, and yeah, that's that's I mean, that's another unprecedented mm-hmm. part of the Trump. The Trump reality is is the Biden campaign can potentially look To the general election and say that there's just massive massive portions of voters in purple states states that he needs to win like arizona michigan georgia who are very turned off by what happened in 2020 and in 2021 and are just simply not willing to go through Mm -hmm. with that again and and will hold their nose essentially and pull the lever for joe biden not out of love for joe biden mm-hmm. but out of uh fear or perhaps just tiredness of donald trump
1: if, if i can if i can shift you back to, the, to to joe biden and and the questions around um his capabilities as a candidate uh, you know typically in these kinds of things the best way to get forward and get ahead of it is to send your candidate out <clears throat> if there are questions about your candidate you prepare him uh, or her and send them out and that's the best thing to do seems like that hasn't worked for joe biden there's now huge anxieties the story doesn't seem to be going away i want to ask from a technical perspective bear in mind our audiences are are largely british what could the democratic party do is there anything they can do to replace their candidate or to present a new candidate or are they really strapped into the joe biden train and they have to see it to the end
2: so the the nominating contest is, is decided by these people called delegates who are picked up by the respective candidates after each primary contest, state by state, across the country. Right now, Joe Biden is cleaning up in the delegate count. And if he walks into the convention in the summer with enough delegates to secure the nomination on the first ballot, then no, there's, there's nothing the party can do to replace him without him, without essentially negotiating behind the scenes and asking him to step aside. Uh, that's not going to happen because the DNC is currently chaired by a Biden loyalist, um, Jimmy Harrison in South Carolina. Um, and so realistically, that that's, that's not really an option at this point. Um, Dean Phillips himself actually spent most of last year trying to recruit a more prominent primary challenger against Joe Biden because he thought that was the most feasible way of replacing the candidate for the Democrats this year, and that didn't work. Uh, so now he's running as as that alternative. And it, bar, so barring a massive change of fortune for the Dean Phillips campaign, no, there's, there's not going to be a different uh, Democratic nominee unless Joe Biden is the one who makes that decision.
1: So in all likelihood, um, the current trajectory that we're on, in all likelihood, it's 81-year-old Joe Biden versus 77-year-old Donald Trump, who may or may not be in prison at the time. And and just about...
2: Matt, just about everyone in the country agrees on one thing, that they don't want to see that happen, but they also can agree on an alternatives.
1: <laughs> and that is a wonderful place for us to leave. it. that's John Bowden, our Washington correspondent at The Independent. Thank you so much for joining us from Washington, given the time differences and talking with us through um, what seems to be a rock and a hard place for the electorate in the United States of America. Thank you, John, for joining us. Um, we are now going on to... If you are a regular listener, the show you know is my favorite segment, and that is when we go out and hear what real people think. That's not a diss on myself or any of our guests who ever joined the show, but I'm always really interested to hear from ordinary folk out in the world, living their life and reacting to the issues that we talked about in our studio here. Uh, and this week, we're, we're, we're kind of blending in this theme of mortgages that we spoke earlier on uh, with Hamza and Vincent, uh, and we asked people according to Halifax over 60 percent of mortgages taken out between January and December 2023 were in joint names with two or more people would you pair up with someone for a mortgage and if so
3: who a hundred percent yeah I hate the fact that I'm wasting money on rents when I could just be spending it on my own mortgage
0: do you not think it's risky
3: I think it's just down to who you sort of do it with you know like if you can find the right person then it's a really good investment yeah
1: I guess so, but I mean it depends on the friend. Like I, I would only move in with a friend that I was a hundred percent certain that I wouldn't fall out with. Um, so yes and no. I guess so. I guess in like the cost of living, you need it's, it doesn't really make sense to have a place on your own, and having someone to share that with is sensible.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd only be able to afford to move in with a friend. I wouldn't be able to. I live in Southwest London, and the house prices are still really expensive. Um, but yeah, I'd move in with a friend or a family member, absolutely.
2: I think it's a risky. Business getting into mortgages with friends and family, but equally it's risky getting into mortgages with anybody. And the way that the climate is at the moment with mortgages, I feel like it kind of has to happen. So I, th- I think I would if I needed to.
1: And there you go. I think what you know the, the common theme that there seemed to be that young people, particularly, were, were, were quite open to the idea of of doing a joint mortgage uh, with one or more person as well as themselves, um, and that seems to reflect the figures. That we're looking at where 60 percent of the mortgage being taken out uh were between two or more people and everybody is highlighting obvious risks um that come with that so you never know who you're going to be living with i lived um with two flatmates during university and um uh, that did not go well uh in fact i was perfectly happy but my two flatmates were so upset with each other at one point true story they wouldn't talk to each other and would only communicate through letters So our dining room table in the living room would just have stacks of letters that they wrote to each other full of uh, full of sass, which is the only way they would communicate or through me. Um, So imagine owning a mortgage with someone that you won't even speak to. There's obviously huge risks with that. But what we're hearing from the people on the street is that they are open. To it, And that brings us to the end um, of what has been a jam-packed show where we've spoken uh, with Hamza Tausel, a former Lord Mayor of Westminster, with The Week Unwrapped. We talked Labour politics. Uh, we talked Michael Gove and we even spoke about deep fakes. Thank you to him for joining us. Uh, Vincent Hornsby brought, brought us mortgage advice uh, from the Mortgage Advice Bureau and spoke to us about what we have been speaking about. And that's the housing market. And John Bowden gave us an insight into American politics as the American electorate go to the polls. Hoping they could vote for anybody but the two old men that will be on the ballot. Thank you so much to all of our guests for joining us uh, this week. If you want, um you can go back and listen to all of our previous shows where we've had guests ranging from Lord Heseltine to John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn and Clive Lewis MP, all of whom joined us in the studio. Uh, you can listen back to us to talk about topics like housing and many other things go back and listen via spotify or all good podcasting platforms you can follow us on instagram on twitter which is now known as x or tiktok at Fubar radio and at politics uncensored you can catch me at ali milani uk i hope to see you all next week with another amazing jam-packed show i'm ali milani this is politics uncensored salams